welcome to the official podcast of the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, the IASLT in Conversation. My name is Grace Walsh and I am a senior speech and language therapist working with Let's Grow Together Infant and Childhood Partnership CLG in Cork. I work at the Prevention, Promotion and Early Intervention area-based childhood service level within an infant mental health framework to support optimal early development and well-being. And it's a particularly exciting year this year as the World Association of Infant Mental Health World Congress is being hosted in Dublin in July. Today we're chatting to Anna McLeod, Anna is a senior speech and language therapist with over 12 years experience working in child and adolescent mental health. She's currently working in the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, CAMS in Kildare. And I actually previously worked in CAMS myself in Cork. So I have an insight into the importance of our role as speech and language therapists within the service. Thanks a million for joining us today, Anna. Sure. Thanks for having me. Anna, can you share with us what the role of the speech and language therapist in mental health is? And I know this is an area that the um, IASLT, SLTs in mental health seek, um, are, are really continuing to focus on building awareness of our, our role in the sector. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it's it's kind of an ever evolving role and it's a, it's always one that kind of comes up. Um, it's always a question. But I suppose at its um, at its core, we provide so a speech and language therapist in mental health provides support to the individual with a mental health difficulty with any speech language communication or swallowing needs. So that support might look like, um, I suppose, an assessment if there's a query around if there is a co-occurring uh, communication or swallowing need. It might look like providing support to the person in a session with a with another team member possibly you know I suppose in I work in CAMS so I can't speak hugely around adult or infant mental health mm. but certainly in CAMS uh, we very much work as part of a team um, so there's a psychiatrist psychologist um, social worker nurse so a lot of our role as SLT sometimes is joining our colleagues for sessions to support a young person's understanding of um sometimes just what's being said in the session, the questions they're being asked. Um, and then we very much work as, as advocates for the young person um, or for the individual in supporting them to access um, treatment and intervention for their mental health. Because I guess if you think about it, I mean, everything is communication. So from the first time this, this young person or this individual comes to our service, to any of our service, what are we doing? We're, we're talking, we're asking questions, we're you know, communicating, communicating, communicating. So mm -hmm. if there's an issue there, we have to, I suppose, to make sure that it's accessible to the individual. We have to make sure that it's at a level that they can, you know, understand even in terms of what they may or may not be consenting to. Um, so there's a huge role just in in the advocacy and the, I guess, the just the sharing, the awareness of how much this the needs can impact on someone's mental health. Um, there's very much a bi-directional influence of, I suppose, 
it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Does the mental health difficulty come first, which leads to the isolation, which leads to the communication difficulties, or are the communication difficulties there first, which contributes to the isolation, which contributes to the anxiety? So it's, and it's very much chicken egg. It's really hard to kind of tease out. But just that understanding, you know, for our colleagues, for the young person themselves, or for the, the individual with, with the needs, for the families, for the schools about that, um, I guess, kind of relationship mm. can, can be really central. And um, that's a bit waffly. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. No. <laughs> yeah, God, and it's it's powerful to think of the role you know, from the very entry point into the service, um, you know, supporting access all the way through a child, a young person's journey with CAMS. Um, Absolutely, it's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Uh, and and this is might be a, a very hard question. What does a day in the life of a CAMS SLT look like and feel like? I can imagine it can be hugely varied from, from one day to the next. I think, yeah, it can certainly be hugely varied from one day to the next. It can be hugely varied based on the individual um, SLT, obviously, because we also work across. So I'm at a community CAMS team in our service alone. We have uh, um, SLTs working in the approved centre. So the inpatient unit for for young people with more severe mental health presentations. We have a SLT working in the eating disorder team. Um, obviously yourself working in intimate mental health then there's definitely um, SLTs not as many as there should be but um, working with adults with in mental health services so I can only speak from from CAMS and again as you said it varies from day to day but my I guess kind of a typical day might include a a session with a young person and their parent um, or their their guardian to kind of talk about what I've just said there, what my role is, that there's been a concern that the young person might have difficulties with their communication or, or their language and how I might be able to support them with that um, and what an assessment might look like. It might be, you know, starting that assessment, it might be looking in more detail at the language profile, the social communication profile, um, speech, voice fluency doesn't tend to come up as much in CAMS, um, at least in my experience, but mm. it, obviously we, we would obviously still look at that if it presents itself um we might have a session as I said with a colleague so just thinking of my kind of over the last week I joined our consultant psychiatrist she was giving some feedback to a young person who has quite significant anxiety but they also have um, developmental language disorder so I was in the session to kind of support their understanding of what that anxiety you know really even to, what does anxiety even mean you know because kids we, we throw around these words in mental health or in any setting and, you know, you think you just sort of assume the knowledge. So I've certainly been in sessions where um, words like anxiety, words like um, ruminating was a recent one. A consultant said something about um, or a, a colleague said something about someone ruminating and I just was like, I don't think they understand. And I said, do you know what that means? They had no idea. So, you know, just sort of stepping in to support their understanding, stepping in to, you know, use visuals, whatever way you're kind of helping them access the information. Um, so that's very common, certainly in my role, that I would join my my colleagues for those types of sessions. Um, schools, um, we would very often link with schools a lot um, because I guess the mental health concerns, obviously, they're not they're not in a vacuum. They're not just at home. Frequently, they're 
very much in the school setting or they can be very much centered around the school setting in the case of you know anxiety based school avoidance or selective mutism which which SLTs and CAMs have a, have a huge role in so I might have a meeting with the school to talk about a young person with selective mutism you know if, if we've already sort of set up a um a program to support the young person's communication in the school you know how is that going or it might even just be like a psychoeducation kind of piece for the school what is selective mutism what does it look like um so for those who don't know selective mutism is a it's an anxiety disorder where a child does not communicate can communicate normally um in some settings but not in others because of anxiety generally schools so you know it's it's often that psychoeducation piece around you know not putting pressure on the child supporting them to to um I guess to communicate in a very graded kind of small steps way um and what else might be in a typical day I'm just kind of reflecting over the last week groups we do a lot of groups as well and again some of the areas which people might not be aware of that certainly in CAMS where we're working more and more with is not necessarily just the kind of the core language groups obviously we would support a young person with vocabulary difficulties narrative syntax whatever comes up but things like emotional literacy has very much kind of come to the fore the past few years mm-hmm. of and what I mean by that is a young person's ability to understand and speak about their own emotions um, and that's huge in CAMS because obviously mm-hmm. you know mental health it's all about emotions it's all about feelings if a young person can't even access how they're feeling um, or how how to express how they're feeling or maybe they're expressing it in a way that looks like something else to the people around them so it might be around supporting them to express it in a more appropriate way. It might be about looking at the language of the emotions in terms of, you know, the sort of almost a hierarchical piece of, you know, when, if you're feeling angry, you can feel just a little bit annoyed or you can feel um, furious and the different vocabulary there. So that's we we would often run groups, certainly in my service, around those kind of um, challenges as well. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that kind of, you know, being able to see and understand behavior as communication um, and supporting that interpretation, as you said, working with across the team and with schools and with everyone important in the child's life or the the adolescent's life. Yeah. And certainly with the families as well, just Mm. in in terms of the the parents understanding of, of how, as I said, what may be a communication difficulty might be presenting as quite significant behavioral Mm. challenges and it's, Mm. you know, coming from frustration or it's coming from, you know whatever the, the underlying communication issue is mm. um and very much there's there's quite a strong link I suppose it's it's kind of an area that I'm and this is where I'm saying I think it depends on the individual SLT because some SLTs will just sort of merge into like an area that they're more interested in and I have kind of become a lot more involved in working with young people with anxiety and I've, I've done some additional training in cognitive behavioral therapy so some of the work that I do is is kind of very much CBT informed work and anxiety but keeping the communication piece central to that um and as I said it's it's also about just accessing the mental health um interventions because sometimes you know it's in mental health especially in CAMS and I'm sure in, in the other areas it's, it's very much about the care plan you know what is mm. what are the young person and their family's goals how are we going to meet those goals how are we going to, to keep their recovery in mind you know because obviously it's a, it's a huge recovery focus um in mental health as well mm. And if you're looking at care plan goals and the team is saying, well, okay, we'll refer them for, they need CBT for their anxiety. They need, um, you know, psychological input around their mood, whatever it might be. 
But if the young person doesn't understand those interventions, they're not going to be effective. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to have to get in there quite early on, sometimes mm-hmm. to support um, their ability to access those those interventions. And that relationship and that connection piece as well to really support that Absolutely. and have a port of entry into, um, you know, how how the young child is feeling or what's yeah. going on for them as they're yeah. kind of engaging with the service. Exactly, exactly. Because, yeah, of course, we have, um, you know, I suppose in all services, there's issues with, you know, attendance and things like that, and especially mm-hmm. mental health, because yeah. it's, it tends not to, you know, there's often generational pieces. There's also mm-hmm. often other, you know, huge challenges within mm-hmm. the families in terms of accessing appointments. And if you don't have that relationship, as you said, if you're not meeting the the, the young person in the family with where they're at and, mm-hmm. you know, it's you frequently then they might not continue attending and then yeah. the, the difficulties only get worse or certainly don't get better mm-hmm. um so, yeah and you've you've I think you've covered this um and already in terms of I suppose from an advocacy point of view in terms of um why it's so important to have speech and language therapists working as you know key team members within mental health services particularly in terms of I suppose that huge access piece supporting people to access and then be able to engage with um assessment and treatment and and recovery um that's probably one of one of the key um you know vital roles that we have anything else you think that's you know I suppose it's probably important to mention that and you mentioned at the start that there's a special interest group for speech and language therapists working mm-hmm. in mental health um which is i've i've been involved in over the years in various um, capacities but over the last year or two have very much been in, there's been a lot of work done and with islt as well in terms of the, the hsc's newest um policy of, around mental health mm-hmm. which is called sharing the vision which it was the vision for change was the original document. Mm-hmm. And now we're on to sharing the vision. It came out in 2020 and um, the the mental health SIG have done a lot to, and I, with ISLT to basically highlight the fact that SLTs are really not mentioned in that document. It's really quite shocking. Um, I know when it came out, I just put in a quick find, um, you know, find speech and language therapist. And I was like, Oh, there's like three results or something there's mm-hmm. and it's it, and then you have this communication 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 all through it as so important and yet we're not mentioned and that's not to say that you know oh they've forgotten about us again you know playing the victim or the martyr but I do feel we're really essential but also not just in mental health because you know if we, if we have more um understanding and awareness of of these difficulties at a primary care level um at you know in other services in disability services certainly because we would have a lot of kind of co-working and um with our kind of network disability colleagues as well where there might be a young person with a significant disability but also has mental health needs so you know the sharing the vision document it needs to be well it needs to be updated but <laughs> it's only just come out but their needs, I suppose, it it really is is quite um, striking in that mm-hmm. there's there's such a omission of of the role of SLT. Um, so I would certainly encourage anyone who's interested to to look um, at the ISLT response yeah. to sharing the vision um, because it's it's really clear, it's really um, mm-hmm. it's really detailed. A lot of work went into it, obviously, mm-hmm. to, to highlight you know just along each step along the way of sharing the vision where SLTs could could input into the goals um yeah. is, is putting out um, absolutely and there was um there have been some study days that the the SIG hosted recently as well kind of really exploring 
the the policy sharing the vision um again specifically from the SLT perspective and looking at how we can show how we can implement recommendations from yeah. the policy within our roles as SLTs absolutely yeah and again not just I think sometimes there's sort of a sense of oh it's it's selective mutism or it's anxiety mm-hmm. quick go to cams um which is you know I understand you know obviously no one wants to work outside of their scope of practice but there's a lot that can be done at a primary care level in in other services and um you know cams is or I suppose mental health services are a um kind of a what do they call it a tertiary service yeah. or it's a more um there's more severe needs there mm-hmm. so we would have just as the department done some work recently with our local primary care SLT colleagues about selective mutism specifically and you know what kind of supporting them and it's been a bit of a psychoeducation piece mm-hmm. um to kind of because really inevitably you don't want a child ending up in a mental health service you know mm-hmm. and as a parent myself I can't imagine that being something that I would want for my children you know um so if I mean obviously no parent wants their child to have any any difficulties or challenges in life but I think if if we can kind of support um the I guess the the role of the SLT across the board across services um that that's really absolutely and it's looking as well at that you know sometimes we we kind of maybe focus on maybe you know the services where there is an identified need mm. um, but it's that range isn't it of you know from a prevention and a promotion perspective exactly. a mental health promotion perspective as SLTs in lots of different settings you know we all have different roles in supporting exactly. mental health and um, exactly. so exactly. it's great to see the evolving yeah. nature of our roles and as well. I suppose one of the things that I, I haven't mentioned um, because I'm not I qualified before dysphagia was part of the qualification. So I don't have dysphagia training um, myself. So it's never really on my radar. Mm. But swallowing certainly um, is is a huge um, role for SLT, specifically in adult mental health. I think there's been some some Irish research over the last number of years about um, adults with, with mental health difficulties presenting with, with needs and swallowing. Um, so that's, you know, I don't want people to hear this and think it's all about communication. Mm. I know obviously we have a role in, in, mm. in swallowing too in dysphagia. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's there as well. And in terms of the specific, I mean, a, a huge benefit of working in CAMS is that you're you're a member of a team and you can work with lots of different colleagues. But I suppose in terms of the specific skill set that we bring um, to the space as SLTs, I think. I think as SLTs, we're just we're just very good at making that connection mm. with the families or uh, with the, the individual with the needs and because frequently we we do sort of a, a well we you would hope that all interventions or all meetings with a, with a service are therapeutic mm-hmm. in and of themselves but as SLTs because of you know there's often a clear need that you're supporting the the young person to to make I guess progress or, or to to meet those needs there's definitely a therapeutic piece there that there that really kind of builds that relationship so I think we're just very I just think we're very good at that as SLTs mm-hmm. I don't know if it's in our training or I don't know if it's mm-hmm. that we're drawn to the course because we're already good at it it's one of those chicken egg things again um I also think we're we're very skilled at um supporting teams in differential diagnosis which certainly in CAMS is a huge um area around things like you know there might be a concern about ADHD young person presenting with you know inattentive um overactively impulsive behaviors and yet then when you do an assessment there might actually be significant language needs so are they inattentive because they're not understanding so you know can you support is there more actually is it more to do with the language 
mm. comes up again around something like anxiety and autism you know is there a is there a social anxiety piece is the young person having challenges in social settings because they're not um because they're too anxious in those settings um or are, are there actually core um social communication deficits and certainly in terms of teasing that out taking those developmental histories it's I think SLTs are very skilled. I think our training really kind of goes into that that early development um, piece that is that really stands to us then when we work mm-hmm. in mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think our organizational skills, um, mine have, have taken a bit of a hit since I had kids, but <laughs> I just from over the years, <laughs> SLTs on teams always seem to be the ones who are like just getting things done with the teams, you know, and pushing things on. And I just think we're, we're very good at, at doing that. And the power of language, too. I think we have a real awareness of, you know, the, the language that we use, Absolutely. Um, you know, how we're how, how our wording of our letters, you know, have we yeah. got a, a positive, warm, relational yes. engagement yeah. style? Absolutely. So I, I think we really advocate for that as well in terms of how we can, as you said, connect, reach out, yeah. meet families yeah. where they're at. Really. I was only talking to with a colleague recently about um wouldn't it be great? It was her idea actually. Um shout out to Sarah if she hears this, but um, you know, to do something with young people and families about the language of CAMS. You know, it'd be amazing to do a group with with young people and say, well, these are the kinds of terms that might come up. This is the vocabulary, this is what you might because you know, in, in sessions where you know, they're obviously young people are asked about mood, they hear mood and they might think, Oh, am I moody? But they're not, they don't know that. But when when in a mental health setting someone asks about mood they mean are you depressed or are you anxious yeah. you know what does depressed and anxious even mean what does so again um my colleague in the eating disorder team had a, quite a good example recently of a young person who was asked about if they were engaging in purging behaviors and the young person said no and then the session moved on and my the slt sort of thought you know what i'm not not 100 convinced on that so she went back and she said so can i just check are you actually making yourself get sick and the person, oh yeah yeah a few times a day but if they had carried on and just said no she's not purging but she didn't know what purging meant mm-hmm. so oh. that kind of um so I've gone on topic a bit it's a bit of no. a these things yeah. happen as well it's oh, kind of no. like certain things tend to kind of come up and you're like we need to do something about this but yeah. I think that something about the language as you said that the power of language and just how frequently we can I suppose how much we can support those misunderstandings mm-hmm. occurring which could really influence a young person's care plan you know Absolutely. It can, you know, those small ruptures, you know, if there isn't an opportunity to repair, Absolutely. as you said, it, it impacts the trajectory then going Absolutely. forward. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to add. You can really hear your your passion for the role. And Thanks. I've, I've been in it a while, sometimes I wonder too long. Um, I suppose just to say that in terms of kind of emerging roles mm. for SLTs and mental health, I mentioned there about eating disorders. Mm. Um, there's a, a strong push. And as far as I know, it's 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 in the it's in the work. So there's a national um, HSC national clinical program for eating disorders that will be rolled out um, hopefully in, in the coming years. I'm not sure of the exact time frame, but there's a a push to include SLTs in that because there's actually some of the research that's been done and our, I suppose, just not even research, but, you know, looking at caseloads and things from our eating disorder team. I think there's an eating disorder, there's a few eating disorder teams around the country. Mm. I can't speak for others, but there's actually a lot of young people presenting with eating disorders and co-occurring speech, language and communication needs. 
also very much a role in supporting young people with ARFID, which is a new role, which is assistant, or sorry, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, kind of what used to be called fussy eaters, but mm. is very much now seen as a um, quite a, um, a diagnosis in its own right. And SLT is having a big role in that in a lot of the young people with ARFID have co-occurring autism spectrum disorders. So, you know, there's that obviously significant communication piece there. Mm. There's also an emerging role with I think with young people who are um are with, with individuals who are transgender and not that transgender in and of itself is a mental health disorder. Obviously it's not. Mm. Um but I suppose being trans unfortunately makes individuals more vulnerable to experiencing mental health difficulties. So a lot of times they do end up linking with mental health services. And there's a there's an SLT now in the um, gender identity service in Lachlanstown Hospital um, who with, is working with adults. It comes up in CAMS because we, we do have young people who are, who are trans. I've certainly done some work around voice with a young person, mm. um, you know, who's identified male at birth or assigned male at birth, identifies as female, but very aware that their voice does not fit with their um, identity. So there's a role there for SLTs, which is kind of, emerging as I said it's not an area that I would say many of us feel very skilled in um or maybe I, I shouldn't I'm speaking for myself there I don't necessarily feel very skilled in but it's there's um there's a lot that, that can be done to support those those individuals as well yeah it's exciting to hear you know the evolution of the role and as you said some people will gravitate towards a specific area and become really upskilled and then further advocate for how SLTs can work in this area so hopefully moving forward we'll really continue to kind of show yeah and the same over the years Mm. I know a few years ago that we had a study day on on working with the transgender population um and there's been I know I was involved in a study day about supporting young people to access dialectical behavior therapy Mm. which is another um big intervention in mental health for young people who are for individuals who are emotionally dysregulated and engaging in um self-harming behaviors mm-hmm. but yeah so there's the SIG has, has done a lot and I think are very good at kind of being clued into what are these emerging roles what else can we um can we look at and and how can we share that knowledge with with everyone you know Fantastic. Thank you so much, Anna. Um, you've really given us a, a, a great insight into the crucial role of SLT in working in mental health and particularly from a CAMS perspective today. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, speech and language therapists support communication and mental health across the lifespan in a variety of settings and services. So for anybody who's listening, if you are interested in becoming a member of the SLTs and Mental Health SIG, you can find all of the details on the IASLT website, www.iaslt.ie. And you can also listen back to our other podcasts by following our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, or by searching IASLT in conversation on Spotify. Thanks very much, Anna. Thanks, William.